Thanks, brother. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Ephesians chapter 6. I was really struck by, while Grant was praying uh, just how amazing it is that we have the privilege of going to our Lord in prayer, you know? I recently watched The Emperor's New Groove with my kids, and I remember the peasants getting an audience with the emperor and feeling like they had 30 seconds to make their case. Maybe he was going to be kind to them and grant them mercy and hear them out, or maybe he wasn't. I just praise God that that's not what we do when we pray. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. He cares about us. He invites us to take our needs to him, and so we do it. And we don't just do it for 30 seconds when people are transitioning on and off the stage. We get... I'm just blown away by the privilege we have, how kind our God has been to us. We're in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, and we are beginning in verse 10. Join me following along in your own Bibles as I read aloud. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen? Amen. This morning's sermon is going to be really simple, really short, really sweet. I have one purpose in my sermon this morning, and that is to remind every single person in this room that professes to be a follower of Jesus Christ that we are at war. Most of us Christians in the modern era, particularly in the West, we have gone nose blind to the reality of spiritual warfare. We don't don't smell it as it hangs heavy in the air around us. If you look at verse 12 of this morning's text, Paul says there that we are at war with cosmic power and spiritual forces, not against flesh and blood. What this means is that most of us, particularly because of where God has providentially placed us in history, we will forget that we are in battle. We do not hear the thud of ammunition rounds hitting the concrete next to our helmets. We don't hear munitions exploding and dropping raindrops of concrete and metal down on, down on us after they explode. We can't feel the concussive force of bombs going off around us. We don't see 
bodies being carried away off of the battlefield. And because of this reality, because we don't see the warfare in flesh and blood, because we can't smell it and taste it in the air, we forget that our entire Christian lives exist in the heat of cosmic battle. And here's the thing about war. If you are oblivious to it, if you grow numb to it, if you become complacent in it, you will certainly become a casualty to it. So far in the book of Ephesians, we have been granted a glorious glimpse into the cosmic panorama of the work that God is accomplishing in the universe through the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And now we see that in the church of Jesus Christ, the Lord is creating a new society from the ground up. He is recreating the world for the glory of his name through this new society. And this morning we see and we are reminded of the fact that Satan wants to burn that society to the ground. In verse 11, we see that Satan is scheming. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's, he's plotting. He's standing there with his hordes at the city gates. And he is waiting for his opportunity to storm the eternal city of God. He is fiendish. He is clever. He is well-resourced. His malevolence is built into the very fabric of the air that we breathe in. He is in control of the authority structures. He is at work in the sons of disobedience. And as we learned in chapter 4, he is sitting and he is waiting with eternal patience at the door of the church. And he's just waiting for us to give him an opportunity, just one foothold, so that he can come in and wreak havoc and destroy God's people. Satan is like a well-studied general. He knows us, his enemies, better than we know ourselves. He has seen millions of men and women just like us Men and women better than us, stronger than us, more faithful than us. He has seen them all fall before us. Satan understands just how foolish of a race we actually are. He understands how easily deceived we are, how weakened we are by sin, how decrepit our faith is, even on our best day. Satan understands the hubris that lives in us, the pride that tells us that we can do battle with him on our own by the strength of our own might. And he delights in that fact. It stacks a deck in his favor. Unfortunately, spiritual warfare is not an option for us. We don't get to opt out of this. There's no such thing as spiritual pacifism in the Christian life. We have all, it's true, been granted eternal peace with God through Jesus Christ, but in order for us to get to that destination of peace, we must pass through the valley of war. And in order for us to do that, we must be strong. We must be like well-trained soldiers who are fit 
for combat. But it is supremely important for us to understand we must not forget that the strength that we must possess in order to win this war and to not be overcome by our enemies, the strength, it has to be the Lord's. That's what Paul says so clearly here in verse 10. He says, finally, be strong. Okay, I like that. All the men in the room kind of poke their chest out, right? Okay, yeah, we're at a manly text. This is what I'm talking about. I'm going to be strong. But then he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Well, now we're back to our time in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, pray that you don't enter into temptations. He's just assuming that we're not going to be strong. And we need the Lord to be our strength. We have to have the ability to stand. If you look at verse 11 and verse 15, excuse me, verse 11 and verse 13, in both of these places, Paul says, you need to stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This is the picture of a warrior who's on a battlefield and he's not overcome by his enemies. He is standing strong. But you you see here the way that he words it, it really clues us into the reality that our standing is actually our being held up by God. You know, the, the corny footprints thing that, you know, everyone's grandma has hanging on the wall, you know. You see the, the one set of footprints, but really the whole time it was the Lord carrying you. Well, that's cliche for a reason, because it's true. And if you were to look at us on the battlefield, you might just see us there standing. But we understand theologically that our ability to stand is dependent upon Christ's ability to hold us up. And brothers and sisters, he is more than able and he is completely willing, willing to hold us up and to make us firm and strong for the day of battle. Paul has already been talking to us about this kind of strength over and over again throughout the entire letter. Don't you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, Paul says that he was praying that, that the Ephesians would have the ability to grasp to really understand, to really wrap their minds around the strength that we have in Christ. Listen to what he says. he says. He says, Lord, help them to understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Remember we said that that's that superlative language, the immeasurable greatness. How great is it? Don't know, can't measure it. Well, that's the strength that God has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ, in whom we are united, excuse me, with whom we are united, in whom we have our lives. Later in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul prays for the Ephesians again about this power, about this strength. He prays that the Lord would give them an extra effusion of power so that they could be rooted and grounded in God. And that rooted and grounded language, it's the same language from this morning's text. Think about a tree when it's rooted and, and firmly there in the soil, the wind and the waves may come, and, but it's never going to be knocked down. It, it's able to stand. That's the same thing that we need to have. You know, uh, Paul, sometimes in his letters, as he's, as he's writing, he just stops and has like a little bit of a prayer break or a little bit of a praise break. And uh, in light of that, I just, I just want to stop and let's just, just, let's just pray and ask the Lord to, to just 
Let's just do what Paul prayed in chapter one. Let's just ask him again to help us understand the strength and to give us more of it. Lord, we need the power of your spirit. We need the same spirit that raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the grave. We need that power to be our power so that we can stand. We need it because we're so weak and we ask that you would strengthen our faith to help us understand just how strong you are. We need you to be our wisdom. We are not clever enough to defeat our enemy. We need you to be our holiness because we love sin too much, Lord. We need you to be our victory. Amen. When you stop and you consider the strength that we have in God, I mean, have you just stopped to consider that in a while? The strength of our God. He is upholding every single particle in the universe at this very moment. There's not an electron passing around the nucleus of an atom at this moment that is not being upheld by the strength and the power and the might of our God. He possessed, when he was here in the person of his son Jesus Christ, the moral strength to live a perfectly righteous life in a world that was broken by sin. He was mighty enough to endure every form of temptation and not be overcome by any of them. He was strong enough to take on the curse of sin onto his own head. He bore the wrath of God on his own shoulders. He was strong enough to endure the shame and derision of his people. I mean, think about that. We can't tolerate it when someone on our job doesn't like us and says something snarky about us behind our backs. He endured the shame and derision of all of his people. He possesses the strength of endurance to stand as our high priest before the Father forever and ever. He is strong enough to lay down his life in complete service, not to his friends, but also to his enemies. He has the power to speak the universe into existence and to uphold it moment by moment. He's powerful enough to stop the sun in midday. He can turn the brightest noontime sun to black and utter darkness. He takes dry bones and breathes life into them. He takes stony hearts and breaks them and turns them into hearts of flesh. He crushes kings. He obliterates empires. He lays the foundation of the earth. He shuts up the sea and fixes the limits of the cosmos. He raises mountains as high as Mount Kilimanjaro. He lays valleys as low as the Mariana Trench. Who can take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it like Job says our Lord God does? Who sends lightning bolts on their way and plagues and pestilence on the land? Who grants victories to armies and opens the door for the gospel amongst the nations like our God? Who can contend with the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible? Who is as sovereign as the Father? Who shares in the strength of the Son? Who exercises the dominion and authority of the Spirit? If you try to point to me any man or woman or organization or authority structure and say that they are as anywhere near as powerful as the Lord God Almighty, you will just show yourself to be obviously confused. 
Philosophers find their strength in their wisdom. The youth find strength in their beauty. The masses find strength in their numbers. Kings find strength in their armies. Armies find strength in their weaponry. But we, the people of God, find our strength in Him. And don't you know, brothers and sisters, that the victory has already been won? Don't you know that? Don't you remember the words of the Lord Jesus as he was there on the cross giving up his last breath? Do you remember the three little words that he said? It is finished. Maybe there was room to doubt for a couple of days as he lay there in the tomb. But on the third day when he rose victorious, there was no more room for doubt at all. Victory belongs to the Lord. And we, because we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, are partakers of that same victory. This is our strength. And because we have this confidence in the strength of God, because we have this confidence in the gospel that knows that our Lord Jesus Christ reigns victorious, because of that we can don the armor of God and prepare to do battle with complete and unshakable confidence. The armor, as we read in the verses earlier, is the belt, the breastplate, shoes, shield, helmet, sword. Each one of these, respectively, is representing truth, righteousness, gospel readiness, faith, salvation, and the word of God. This is the armament that God has given us to withstand in this evil day. Now, you remember that this evil day, it's not referring to one particular 24-hour period. This is the way that Scripture speaks about the time between Christ's first coming and his second coming, between his ascension and his coming back to take us home. That entire period is going to be a time called evil, where we face temptations, trials, tribulations, where we wage war against our flesh and against Satan and against this world. This evil day is the time frame of the war for your soul. Now, it's thought by many that, that uh, this description of armor that Paul gives here in Ephesians chapter 6, it's thought by many that this is drawn from the panoply or uh, the complete armor set of the Roman soldier in the ancient world. Well, that may be true, but that's not what Paul is drawing from primarily here. This armor that Paul lists out is, is all drawn from the Old Testament, More specifically, this armor is called, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, it's called the armor of God because it belongs to the Lord, particularly in the pages of the Old Testament. Listen to Old Testament scholar Ian Dugwood. He says this, The armor is first and foremost God's armor rather than ours. Through the gospel, the divine warrior gives us his equipment, which he wore first, triumphantly in our place in his definitive struggle against the forces of evil. And then he goes on, and if you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to, to take down these scripture references to go back and, and study on your own. He says, the belt of truth is the belt that girds the messianic king in Isaiah 11.5. The breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation come from the divine warrior's arsenal in Isaiah 59, verse 17. 
The feet shod with gospel readiness are the feet of those who proclaim the arrival of the coming of the kingdom of God in Isaiah 52, 7. And if you remember what Jesus did when he came, he proclaimed he was this messenger of peace. God himself wore these feet of readiness. Excuse me, shoes of readiness. He goes on, God himself is the shield of faith in Genesis 15, 1. <coughs> the sword of the Spirit. The word of God is the weapon wielded by the promised servant of the Lord, who we know to be Jesus, in Isaiah 49, 2. Now, it was at this point in my sermon prep that I stopped and I was like, okay, he's saying a bunch of good stuff, but now it's my turn to say something and I'm going to write something really good here and it's going to be great and you're all going to love it. Unfortunately, uh, as I kept reading more of Dugwood, I just, I had to accept the reality that I just can't say this better than he says it. So listen, I just want to read one more chunk for, from him for you. He says this, Jesus is no armchair general who just hands out the equipment but then watches the fighting from a safe distance. No, he has himself worn the armor of battle and he has won the victory in our place. We are called to wear the Christian armor not because that's what Jesus would do if he found himself in a similar situation to ours. We are called to wear God's armor because that is what Jesus has already done, wearing God's armor all the way to the cross. How amazing is that? What I want for us to understand this morning, more than anything, brothers and sisters, is that when Paul tells us to put on the armor of God, he's telling us how we can be strong in the Lord. Right? The point of these verses is not for us to take an eight-week Bible study and to spend you know, a week studying what the shield means and another week studying what the arrow means. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And I'm sure you've all heard a bunch of good sermons about those sorts of things. But almost all of those lessons miss the fact that the point is this is the armor of God that he already used to secure the victory. Now, look at, uh, look at verse 13 again. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, this is, this is an interesting verse because it leads into the armor of God which leads us into a tension. The tension is this. We know that because the armor is the armor of God, that all those who don it have victory. That victory is certain. It's absolute. It's without question. Nevertheless, Paul here tells us that we have to stand. And he doesn't just stand, say stand. He says you must do all, having done all to stand. Stand firm. Well, that, that having done all language, that communicates something about our responsibility. That communicates something about our effort. When you think about having done all, think about, uh, I don't know if you've seen these videos on YouTube of people finishing marathons, right? But like they're at the end of running, I don't know, like 2,500 million miles, right? They've just, they just run so far, too far. They should, nobody should ever have to run that far. But they've run and they've run and they've run and they are just hanging on by a thread. They are moving forward by sheer will of force. They've lost bodily function control. Their motor functions are, you know, they're just hobbling across the line. 
That's what I think of when I think having done all to stand, stand firm. I felt the tension of that when I was reading this text. Certain victory, stand firm, having done all. I thought about it, I thought a, a little bit of a, a little thought experiment, experiment that kind of helped me make sense of this in my, in my own study this week. I thought about a warrior on the battlefield uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, just a long time ago. And I pictured him there covered from head to toe, helmet to boots, and armor. And then I imagine that as he was preparing to go into battle, he's met by an old warrior who gives him his own special set of armor. And when the old warrior gives it to him, he says this, This armor belonged to me once. I wore it into battle, and I was victorious with it. This armor is a special armor imbued with special power from me and my victories. And I give it to you. And it will give you certain victory in battle as long as you keep fighting. Feel that tension? The victory is yours as long as you keep fighting. And I feel like that's what the Lord is telling us this morning. Be strong in the power of his might. I need to be strong in his strength. This is the same language, and listen, for members of this church, just get used to it. This is the go-to verse. We're always going to go back there because it's just the verse that communicates it so clearly. And to repeat myself is no problem for me, and it's beneficial for you. Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You, you work. You be afraid. You have anxiety about the, the, the state of your soul, the possibility of you getting to heaven. For it is God who works in you to work and to will his good purposes. When it comes to your salvation, be strong in the strength of the Lord's might. You see the same sort of thing when Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, think, think over the things that I'm telling you. Wrestle with them, and the Lord will give you understanding. The victory is yours, Timothy, if you want to understand these things, but you have to fight. I think that's the same language we see in this morning's text. Fight and fight hard, for the Lord has given you victory. Now you'll notice that in verse 18, Paul goes on to write about praying at all times in the Spirit. Uh, we are going to pick back up there next Sunday. Uh, for this morning, I want to close by uh, considering uh, a man named William Gurnall. He was a, a Puritan. He wrote a, a breezy little book, clocking in at 261 chapters, called The Christian in Complete Armor. Gurnall understood that as much of a blessing as it is to have the armor of God for our own personal use in ba battle, the reality of war is still a burden. And so he writes this. He says, Here, our armor is to be worn day and night. We must walk, work, and sleep in them, or else we are not true soldiers of Christ. This is profoundly insightful from a man who's never been to war. But if you have been to war, you know how important it is to be ready for combat at any moment, at any time. 
I just got through reading uh, a story of a guy who served on Iwo Jima, and one of the grossest parts of the book was when he talked about the day when he finally got to take his boots off, and then he pulled his socks off, and the, the bottom of his feet came off with his socks because he had worn his boots and socks for so long. He, he only had one pair of socks, and he never took his boots off because at any given moment, he would have to jump up and fight, and he did not want to be found unprepared. That's what it's like to be a soldier. When Amber and I spent a year in Iraq, we just don't go anywhere without a rifle. You just always have to be ready. Sometimes when on the base we would be on high alert, we would always have to have our helmet and our battle rattle on. A soldier always wears the armor, always carries the weapon because he's always well prepared. Because his life depends on it. This is one of those things that you think of as a blessing of a burden, right? It is very much a burden. It's not easy to always have to be thinking about war, always keeping up with your weapon, always carrying your armor as it weighs heavy on your bones. But this burden is a tremendous blessing because without it, victory would be lost. Gurnall goes on, though, to offer more than just this language of burden. He reminds us that this burden won't last forever. In heaven, says Gurnall, we shall appear not in armor, but in robes of glory. Now, for some of us, those robes of glory seem like they're just right around the corner. And we cannot wait for that day. For others of us, they seem so far away. And I think it's probably safe to say that we're all just tired of fighting. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, I want to challenge you to consider the fact that maybe you're not a Christian. I don't intend to be mean. I don't want to offend you. But if you don't ever wage war, if you don't ever feel like you're in the heat of battle, if you're never tired of fighting against sin and Satan and the schemes of this broken world, what do you think that says about the state of your soul and your allegiance to Christ? You know, I, I just, I feel it in my bones, the weariness. I'm so tired of fighting. I got saved when I was 18. I just turned 33, and that's not very long at all. That's not a long time. And yet I am exhausted from having to do battle with sin. I am tired of fighting temptation. I don't want to have to confess anymore. I don't want to have to pray and ask the Lord to forgive me anymore. I'm tired of doubts. I'm tired of having to grind my way towards that victory. In God's strange providence, I really felt the weight of that fatigue this week when I was working on this sermon. I was about three quarters of the way through the sermon and I just felt tired. I just felt like I didn't have anything left to give. And then it hit me. That's why these verses are so important. Because I, I don't have anything to give. I was, I was trying to make it through this sermon prep in my own strength. 
And then I remembered my strength is worthless. And so I just stopped and I prayed and I said, Lord, I need you to be my strength. And oh, friends, the burden that I felt lifted off of my shoulders in that moment. To know that I don't have to secure the victory with this preaching. All I have to do is just be faithful. Trust the means that the Lord has given to me and let him do the work. Let him be the one who's responsible for the victory. And then I thought, I I want that for you this morning, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to have to carry that burden around with you. I can't do anything about the fatigue. That's not going to go away. You're going to have to fight. You're going to have to fight and stand and having done all to continue to stand firm. But the, the burden of feeling like you have to be the one to secure the victory, I want to take that away from you this morning. The heart of this morning's message is that you can't secure the victory. Christ has already secured it for you, so just rest in him. It's one of those strange things in Christianity where the, 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 the way we can fight Satan most ferociously is by trusting in Christ most completely and allowing him to do battle for us. At the end of Paul's ministry and at the end of his life, he writes this to his beloved disciple. I have fought the good fight I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I want to be able to say that. And I want for you to be able to say that. We fought the good fight. We ran hard in this race and it was grueling and we finished and we have kept the faith. Listen, he goes on, he says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. So brothers and sisters, if, if you're like me and you're, just, and you're just tired of fighting, just keep your eyes focused on that day when he will reward you with that crown of righteousness and you will get to see him and you will get to be with him forever and all the fighting will be done away with and there will be no more war, there will only be peace. The reality is, is that we're all fighting, every single one of us. As Christians, though, we know that our fighting is not in vain. It's not worthless. Our fighting will lead to eternal glory. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I want you to know that your fighting is only going to lead to more suffering. Like a nation that loses a horrendous war, all your fighting is in vain. And the only thing to come after your loss is more suffering. So I want to offer you the hope of the gospel this morning, to trust in Christ to receive his victory so that your fighting actually matters so you can get to go be with God forever. Let's pray. Father, we strive to persevere, but we also ask that you would preserve.
We know that there's so much of uh, this Christian experience that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around because of the tension that we feel like exists there, but we pray that you would help us uh, to trust, to be able to live in that tension. Lord, we pray that you would give us an extra measure of faith as we go back out into a fallen world. Help us to be strong in the strength of your might. Amen.